I'm Dr. Molly Ness, host of the End Book Deserts podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Bob Lynn, CEO of PBL Works, and Lorene Adams, the Curriculum and Project Manager at PBL Works. We're talking about project-based learning, overcoming the COVID slide, and PBL Works. Lots to learn. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Bob became CEO of PBL Works on June 1st, 2015. Before taking the helm at PBL Works, he was a co-founder of Envision Education and served as its CEO and Chief of Innovation until 2015. Um, Envision Education put into practice a highly successful redesign model that has opened a path to college and college retention for underserved urban students at Envision's three Bay Area arts and technology high schools. He is recognized nationally as a leader in high school redesign, project-based learning, 21st century skills education, and performance assessment. The William and Flora Hewlett Foundation has recognized Bob as a senior deeper learning fellow. He is the author of Transforming Schools, Using Project-Based Learning, Performance Assessment, and Common Core Standards, recently published by Josie Bass Wiley. Bob was the first in his family to receive a four-year college degree, obtaining a BA from St. Mary's College and an MA in education from San Francisco State University. When he's not spending time with his family in San Rafael, California, he is stand-up paddling, riding his bike, and playing rugby. Lorene Adams. Lorene is the curriculum and project manager at PBL Works. Lorene began her teaching uh, career at, as a New York City teaching fellow where she worked at a South Bronx middle school teaching seven through eight English and social studies. By her third year teaching, she became a founding teacher in a small school with, um, when the middle school building split. It was there that she learned about project-based learning and began working with a leadership team to develop PBL curriculum for the English department. After several years in New York, she moved to Oakland, California and started working as a high school English teacher with Envision Schools. Lorene taught English K-12 and served as a lead teacher. Lorene received BAs in Afri- African, African-American Studies and English from UC Davis. She earned an MS in English Education from Lehman College, the part of the CUNY system. She also earned a Master of Arts in Education and a PhD in Education with an emphasis on teaching, learning, and culture and an Africana Studies Certificate from Claremont Graduate University. Bob and Lorene, thanks for talking with us today and say hi to everyone. Hello. Hey there. Well, cool. I'm glad you all are, are with us and uh, welcome to... Uh, to the program and uh this is uh we're in the we're recording this and we're all doing our thing with a separate <laughs> so we're all in different places which uh, is all kinds of fun parts of the the uh, pandemic world um you know let's start by uh, talking about uh everything's we're gonna be focused on project-based learning today so can you start off by let's just make sure we understand what project-based learning is well project-based learning is a you know, I, I think of it, it it's, it's clearly a, a teaching methodology, but it's also, in a lot of ways, a philosophy for teaching and learning um, that puts the students at the center. Um, and it's, uh, it's a methodology where students are exploring individually and often in groups um, a challenging question um, or, or um, problem that's tied to the academics that they're learning 
but probably most importantly, it's it's highly uh, authentic to them and tied to their interests, their culture, to the world outside of school. Um, Project-based learning asks students not only to master the knowledge and the skills uh, that uh, that we we ask for in school, um, but also to apply that and demonstrate their understanding and knowledge and Probably most importantly, it's an opportunity for them to reflect, get critique, um, and then finally present their work publicly so that it's not just uh, the audience is way beyond the classroom and the teacher. And we find when students um, have an audience that's public and authentic, that they invest um, their whole selves into their work and strive for excellency, excellent work. Awesome. You know, one of the things that I want to make sure that uh, um, we kind of have a working thought about this as we're, we're listening, as everyone's listening to us talk today is just, uh, I think sometimes people can have different thoughts about what it is. And especially, you know, the idea that uh, they, they might, someone might talk with them in school about, you know, we need to get you doing more project-based stuff, you know, and don't ask me what it is. So, you know, <laughs> so anyway, never mind. Um, right. And we're, and we're really clear, like project-based <laughs> learning versus doing projects. And that often doing projects is what we call like dessert projects that come at the end. They might or might not be tied to actually even actually asking the students to apply their 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 knowledge. Um, sometimes it just looks like um, styrofoam um, uh, solar uh, systems in in science, um, or maybe a California mission made out of sugar cubes in California in the fourth grade. So that we don't consider that project-based learning. I like that name you gave them, dessert projects or whatever. That's yeah. that. That's uh, seen a lot of those as a uh, um, as a former principal, and uh, you know, kind of wonder. It's like, what? Well, I you told me I needed to do projects. See, this is this is why I said what I said before because sometimes you know we get we have to be clear about what we're, our point is, especially from the administration side, <laughs> mm -hmm. and we have to know as well. Sometimes uh, colleagues don't don't know exactly what it is that they're asking the teacher to do. So that's right. And uh, so it's important that we have that discussion. But uh, yeah, that dessert project part right there. Um, you know, I'm, over the years, I made plenty share of my share of um, styrofoam ball uh, solar systems. And uh, <laughs> I don't think I ever had to do the, uh, the sugar cube one, but I had to do plenty of my own <laughs> little projects. <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about the benefits of using project-based learning in the classroom. I mean, why does it help with engagement? first and foremost it helps students take charge of their learning right so they become self-directed they get to decide um, what it is they need to learn in order to create whatever product they're creating or in order to answer the question that they're they're answering for the project also it allows students to collaborate with each other and um, gives people an opportunity to take on different roles and leadership and mostly I think when it's an authentic project that they are excited about, they just want to do it. And as Bob mentioned, the, the requirement or the expectation that they're going to present to a, a larger audience outside of the classroom makes students want to do their best work, right? Because they know that they're accountable to, to people beyond the teacher. And usually when designed well, we want them to create a project or a product that is meaningful and matters in the real world. So 
they should be excited and thrilled to share their, their learning and their work with others. Very cool. Any, anything else you want to add? Yeah. Uh, Lorraine was highlighting that public part and how that really engages kids. And it made me, I was remembering we, when I was teaching, um, back in the day and we did a project where the students picked an issue in California um, that they wanted to um, address and even go up to Sacramento and try to lobby for change here in California. And they came up, they, they actually tackled school facilities and school facility funding, which is still a big issue in California, um, almost 20 plus years later. But we were, we were about we were preparing to go up to um, uh, Sacramento to meet with legislators and their and their aides. And um, this young woman, Tori Colton, said, "Well, I got to practice. I want to know my stuff because I don't want to seem stupid when I go meet with these legislators." And and it, and and it, and it's I always found that interesting because it's like she had no problem not being prepared in class. But she was uh, darn if she wasn't going to be prepared for the external audience, and she because, and so I think um, I always say to the teachers that I think we um, we underestimate the power of how much uh, kids feel that unconditional um, love and support in our classrooms. That so much so that they they know that you're um, they're you're going to still love them if they don't turn in their best work or they don't strive to, they, uh, they're not completely prepared, but they have no, they really have no idea how they're going to come across to these adults they don't know. Um, and so, you know, in the classroom, a PBL classroom, it's, it's alive and it buzzes um, and it feel, you feel energy um, both as a learner, but also as the facilitator, as the teacher. And um, when it's really going well, it sure doesn't look, you know, like a traditional classroom. And so if you're wondering whether kids are on task, the task is actually, you actually know because they're working productively. Um, it's not quiet. Um, uh, but a lot of the uh, challenges of compliance and getting kids to do their work goes away. And so for teachers, it's, it's I always say it's as, it's as good for teachers as it is for, for kids. That's awesome. You know, it's it, one of the things that you guys are talking about, it's just so cool is that, uh, it gets to that, what you just said, is that the difference between engagement and compliance. And uh, I think a lot of times the adults, they, they lose track of that because if you get them doing stuff and you think that they're doing stuff, then they're doing stuff, you know, they, but eh, are they doing it just because they like you or because, you know, there's fear of some other, <laughs> something else on the other end or something like that, as opposed to truly being engaged in, you know, understanding what engagement is. So good stuff. How do you, um, you know, one of the things I want to make sure I ask is, why do you think this technique is especially good for, you know, this age of school shutdowns? Um, well, just think about that compliance factor. So there's no test. There's no points. There's no attendance. Um, and sure enough, you know, many large school districts you know, in, in secondary, especially, they, they, they've lost track of like 50 to 60% of their kids because what, what, there's nothing there to really engage the kids. There's not the sense of relationship with the adult because they haven't worked closely together. It's been about getting assignments done. Um, and the kids don't really see any purpose in what they're doing. 
And so project-based learning in the distance um, environment is really works well because you're starting with what the students are interested in. Um, you're tying it to their academics and you're, you're empowering them to start working um, independently and learn those self, self-direction skills and dispositions. Um, that you only have a limited amount of time with students in a distance learning environment. And so it really works well to do the, the get them hooked into it, give them the support they need, and then send them on to do their work individually. Or now really the only way you can collaborate in, is through technology closely because in a classroom, you're gonna have to stay six feet apart. Um, and I don't think they're gonna be doing group work in, in, in classrooms you know, for, for quite a while. So PBL uh, and online, um, a nice, uh, uh, they're, they're good partners. Um, it really works well in all three environments, whether you're in person, totally online or doing a hybrid. You know, it's interesting what you're talking about because, yeah, even if we're in the classroom, which uh, many of my school systems are now back in at, at, for about a week now, and uh, it's, uh, uh, but if we're wearing masks and uh, staying six to <laughs> at least six feet apart, uh, it makes it a little more difficult to, to collaborate with each other, um, mm-hmm. or at least throws a monkey wrench into it. So tell me, you know, let's talk a little bit more. Let's go into a little bit more detail. I mean, like, how, how do you... How, how can you adapt PBL for distance learning? I mean, what is it that uh, makes it just kind of fit? So Bob did a, a great job of kind of giving the context for how you can do it. And really when you're a PBL instructor, you're a guide more than anything. So you use that time when you're all together in whatever platform, Zoom or something similar to give the direct instruction that's necessary, to have some sort of um, group feedback if that's necessary. And then you send folks off to do the work that they need to do to answer the questions they need to answer because all students have different questions related to the topic, right? There are great tech tools you can use too. So you can, a favorite of mine is is using Google Docs to collaborate so students can work together at the same time and work on a document or they can work at it on it at different times. Um, there's tools like Flipgrid where students can do reflection, which is an important part of um, PBL and that is asynchronous as well. So there's just a lot of different opportunities to use technology to enhance PBL. But again, it's really that you're using the time face to face to to be supportive, to give whatever instructions necessary. And then the bulk of the work can really be done asynchronously, which is great for remote learning. No, I, I love that. That's, uh, you know, those tools right there, one of the things, especially if, you know, the, the teacher is, uh, you know, is more of a, a coach instead of the omniscient entity. Um, and then especially if they also then have the ability to choose some of those tools or not choose, <laughs> um, you know, right. for some strange reason, I'm having a flashback to Indiana Jones here and say, choose wisely. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but the, uh, you know, and it's, it, um, and that's awesome because it, it really does kind of lend itself to them making some choices that they may not have before it may have just been about compliance and doing follow the cookie cutter steps or whatever. So you know, good. I appreciate you adding that there. Uh, you know, so one of the challenges caused by COVID is the interference with the learning process. You know, kids have been out of school and now schools are trying to reopen. 
What should teachers and parents know about project-based learning? Uh, you, know, you know, it's used that would help reduce the COVID slide. So let's kind of talk about what we think COVID slide is, is all about. And, and then let's talk about how we could use it to reduce that. Well, you know, the COVID slide, I mean, let's just start with, it, you know, it, we've accelerated the disengagement of students in their own learning. So if we assume that kids were sort of engaged in their learning when we had in-person school, I mean, some of the kids or many, many, a big group never really engaged. Um, even really good students right now, you know, my nephew um, gets good grades in school and he's basically been telling his parents, like, why should I do this homework? Because it doesn't count. And because he's, he's only doing it because it counts. Um, like I said, that's gone. Um, so the, this scene of school is fairly irrelevant in my daily life and my real life and where I want to go has just been um, exaggerated, you know, in the minds of kids, I think even more so. Um, and then the slide of the, the academics. And so I think what we're really hoping and we're going to be encouraging as we come back to school and um, we still have challenges over the course of this next year is that people don't get into the either or mindset that we had in the no child left behind era. And it's either engaging kids in project-based learning or the arts or things that, that they're interested in, or they have to be doing, you know, very structured compliance oriented academics to improve their reading proficiency based on a standardized test score um, and and being and because project-based learning and the research that we're doing with partners like Lucas Education Research is showing that project-based learning is a both and an and strategy and students who are doing projects um, uh, well um, are both gaining the um, academic skills like literacy skills are improving and they are, their content knowledge is improving and they like the learning and they like the subject so they're more inclined to want to learn it more. Um, and so these are the opportunities. The other one that I think we're just missing the boat right now, I'm not hearing a lot of people talking about this is, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited, my son's gonna um, just graduated from college is gonna be an art teacher and we were strategizing because he's gonna to have to start online. And he's like, dad, how do I do that? Like, I'm gonna spend 20 minutes helping them get started with the, whatever they're gonna be producing and working on with and drawing and painting. And then, and then what do I do? And I said, well, that's awesome, Brendan, because now you can go set up one-on-one -on -one meetings with every one of your students and talk about their art. And, that, and, and that's really difficult to do in a classroom with 30 kids. But when you have a Zoom and you can schedule that out, and I'm watching, you know, tutoring going on with kids that, and that my wife's been doing 30 minutes a day with English learners reading continuously through the summer even. And I can hear it in the background. These kids are becoming better readers because they have an adult who's sitting with them every day for 30 minutes reading with them. So we could turn this COVID slide into the COVID advantage. Um, it's, it's not too late. Can I just add, please? PBL is really what life is like outside of school. So yeah. that's how we work. That's how we collaborate. That's how we create. 
So doing that now while students are in K-12 really prepares them for what life's going to be like once they leave K-12. You know, and if you could couple that with what you were talking about earlier about the kids um, and the presentation in front of the people they didn't know, (laughs) where they worry about uh, the the things that they may not have, ah, my teacher let me go with that, you know. Well, now it's a little different because we're also isolated from each other. So they may, they may not know what you're going to let <laughs> let go or not let go. So uh, I think it's. Oh, a- yeah. You know, and you can also bring in experts that you might not be able to get in for a presentation <laughs> to your classroom. But people will sign up and um, be on a, a Zoom call for an hour. They don't have to. Um, whereas getting into your room and being there all day long might not work. But uh, uh that that the the COVID um, uh, advantage there, another one. Very much so. That's uh, that that I hadn't thought about that. That's a good one there because you could, you, know, you as a teacher, you could pretty much do a pretty good job of convincing someone to spend a little bit of time on a Zoom call with you and your kids. You know, that's right. <laughs> that's a that's good stuff. The uh, you know, it, it and it's such, you know, the it's so strange right now because we don't know kind of where it's ebbing and flowing and it's neat to be able to to have some positives coming out of it especially what we're doing in the classroom and working with the kids and being able to say that to them because i think one of the the coolest things is being able to overcome that compliance issue because uh trying to tap into that desire to want to do is is so cool so good stuff yeah you have a free ebook called this teachable moment engaging our kids in the joys of learning it has 21 projects for engaging kids in learning activities before we talk about the activities, could you explain why you created the book and why a teacher or parent should care? Yeah, we created the book uh, because we just felt like this was actually the teachable moment. And this was a moment where, you know, as we've talked about, the where PBL is actually truly, you know, a huge answer to the challenge of, of uh, this distance learning. Um, and we also were developing fast as we could as many products and services and converting things to online. But we realized that parents were going to be the challenge for parents um, is so daunting as well. And what could we do to both help them meet the moment, but also um, empower them to be advocates for their, for their learners um, uh, educational experiences. So it really is a really brief book that gives you a background on, um, why project-based learning, uh, what it is, and uh, what's the research that, um, that backs it up, both in, in practice, but also in cognitive research. And then, um, and then these 21 great, amazing projects that Lori and the team put together uh, to share with, with, with parents that can be done multi-age, uh, low-tech, high-tech, um, and we, we designed them with parents in mind, but of course, teachers, you know, could, could take them and, and move them right into their distance learning environment or classroom right away. Very cool. So, so can we take a, do you have a couple of favorites? Could you talk about a couple of the, you know, what they might find when they go in there? Sure. So the projects are grouped into three themes. The first one is me, my family, and my home. The second is our community. And the third is the world. And some of them overlapped and, and could apply um, in multiple categories. Uh, the first project is How Does Food Connect Us? And that was one that was kind of born out of my house <laughs> because 
we were cooking a whole lot. I have three children. We were cooking a whole lot in the beginning of the stay at home orders here in Southern California. And it was like, how can this be more meaningful than just cooking together? So the project asks young people to think about um, favorite recipes in their family and to ask people, interview people in the family about the origins of the recipes and special memories that they might connect to the, the food. And then they create either a cookbook or a cooking show that discusses the recipes. Uh, so that was a huge success <laughs> in my house. Uh, another one, which we're still working on, uh, is um, how can we set and achieve goals to help us thrive? So this is about creating a health and wellness plan. And my middle child is the most engaged in this because he's been wanting to learn about yoga and meditation. And this is his opportunity to learn different techniques and try them. So. Um, We've been doing that, and he's also been giving me recipes of food to increase his vegetable consumption because he loves starch more than anything else. So it's been very successful. Um, one that I would really love to try with my, my learners, my, most of my students, but they are my students. My children next is a project about designing school for our new reality. I'm really curious to hear what, what they would like to see happen. Um, as we move forward in this pandemic time and how best they can um, learn and what they would prefer to see in their schools. Very cool. That's, you know, I got a, I got a comment about the, the one about the cooking show. Um, my dad was an amazing cook and he had, I don't know if he developed his stuff on, or if it was passed down to him or what, but the, he had these um, old Italian recipes that, uh, gone on it took him a couple of days to make his sauce and he had all the different special things that he put in there and you know and, and then the sauce once the sauce was made then the sauce was used to make other dishes mm-hmm. and and he'd save a bunch of that sauce to the side but he always used to make other dishes and stuff like this and that would have been a that would have been a really cool thing to um to interact with your your parent learning how they do what they do why they do it the way they do it because as a note, I know full well that sometimes there's, you know, measurements that my dad used like a dash, you know, or a douse or a, <laughs> I'm not sure there was exact measurements and some of that stuff, right. but, you know, and it's, uh, or I grill it for just about this long. Well, how's this long? Well, that long, you know, <laughs> thanks dad. That's good. Um, but that would be an amazing, not only, not only an activity in which you're learning how to do, and then you try and explain and create your cooking show and recreate, but also connecting you with family past. Yes. Culturally. Yeah. So that's very cool. Yeah. It's a wonderful project. And you think about the, you know, then you think, well, what about the academics and, uh, you know, the, the, the skeptics of PBL sometimes would say that and would say, well, look, you know, maybe your dad was doing dashes, but you could do a baking recipe where you have to really be exact with measurements and, think if you're going to make for a big family and you have to double it um, and and doing the mathematics there and then being able to do the uh, research and then synthesis of that from having the conversation with your, your um, uh, aunties and uncles and grandparents and then writing it up or, or if you're going to do like a YouTube show, I think your kids did that, right? Or talk about it Mm -hmm. and you have to figure out what the script is and, so, you know, and then think about all that project management that had to go into figuring all those things out. And video so, editing. Video <laughs> editing. 
So it's very, you know, it's a sign, you know, you, you can, you think it sounds really in it, in, in it's, it's beautifully elegantly simple, but as you take it apart, there's a lot of complexity that allows the students and the learners to, um, and the children to really engage in some high level work. Um, and that's the magic of PBL, that it's simultaneously you're, you're doing, you're learning and mastering multiple things at the same time. That's yeah. very cool. I mean, I, one of the things you got me thinking about is that one of the things that's always amazed me is how, is how they start a building. You know, I, it, it, I know you have plans and stuff like this, but you actually somewhere you have to go out there on the piece of property and start somewhere. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, I drive my wife nuts because with puzzles, I start in the middle, <laughs> but you couldn't do that with a building. <laughs> and, you know, she does the outside mm -hmm. edges. And uh, yeah, I could see, you know, that would be another one of those where you could bring in like a contractor, building contractor and so forth and get them so they could ask questions like that and then be able to do the math and all that involved in setting up the platform, the foundation for the building and such and where you start, things like that. So there's, yeah. love this. there's a great project, a, a video of a project on our website at, at uh, my.pboworks.org. It's called the Tiny House Project. And third graders um, at a school in San Jose are commissioned to design a tiny house for a client and they work in teams and they interview the client and they have an architect that comes in and shows them plans and so they create their own blueprints and have to do a, a scale model it's it's very sweet project so encourage your your listeners to go check that out yes and we have a version of that in this um book as well Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure that's in the show notes because we got to send, send them there to go visit that. What a cool thing, especially third graders. Nice. Um, the, yeah, you, you, one of the things, so, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure that we sell is you just, you just mentioned it uh, that we sell. <laughs> one of the things I want to make sure, let me try that again. One of the things that I want to make sure that we uh, mention here is, and, and you, you said it through the website, um, you know, tell us about PBL Works. You know, what's its mission and what's its purpose? Yeah, our vision at PBO Works is that all students, um, no matter where they're from, their background, have um, the opportunity to experience high quality project-based learning. Um, because we know, like Lorraine and I know from our own practice, but also the research, and working now over the last almost 30 years, uh, PBO Works and, the, and our, our parent um, uh, organization, the Buck Institute for Education, have worked with hundreds of thousands of teachers and um, and and thousands of schools, uh, and, and where we see that it makes a huge difference for kids to learn their academics, their skills and knowledge, um, success skills like critical thinking, collaboration, project management, but also this sense of agency that they can make a difference in their own lives and in the world. Um, and we know it's good, it's, it's great for, for all kids. And uh, we're getting more and more research and experience that shows that it's especially powerful learning experience for black and brown students. Um, and so at PBO Works, our mission um, is that the teachers are prepared to be able to deliver and implement and design high quality project-based learning and their leaders um, have the help them put the condition we help them put the conditions in place so that teachers have the culture the infrastructure the um, uh, the professional development 
um, to make great projects happen for kids, especially black and brown students. Excellent. The, if a teacher wanted to start learning more about and, and using project-based learning in their classroom, what advice would you give them for getting started? Mm. <laughs> it's very, very important to know your students and to build strong relationships with your students and for your students to have strong relationships with each other. That's first and foremost, because you have to be responsive to their interests, what they're gonna find engaging and you should design your projects with them in mind. So that's first. The second is we learn by doing. I'm saying that because the first time you do PBL, it's probably gonna be like so-so. <laughs> but after a few, um, tries is going to get really great and that's the same for students too the first time they try PBL is going to be so so you have things to figure out like group dynamics how to get students to really take accountability for their learning and and do it without you always hovering over them right so just be patient nice I like that the uh, you know we're, we're getting ready to, uh, to wrap up and uh, wanna, I want to make sure that if uh, someone wanted to find out more or connect with you guys, uh, where would you send them? They should go to two websites. One, pblworks.org and there's uh, a link there right on the homepage to two things that I think people will find great resources right now. One is to our book where they can download it for free um, and resources for parents um, during this time um, in addition to the book. And then there's also a portal for PBL and distance learning um, that has a whole series of blogs, links to a whole series of webinars we did in the spring to support teachers that they can, they can watch again. Um, and, and then we have a, a website called my.pblworks.org, which is, has, a, has a ton of free resources uh, for teachers and, and parents um, and caregivers to use uh, to support them in PBL. And as of next week, there will be an interactive project, project planner. Um, and this is our, our first subscription offering um, that we've ever done. Um, so for $40 for the rest of your life, you have access to, uh, right now 70 and soon and in a growing library of projects that are fully planned, um, by our team of, of experts and they're there, uh, you access them through a dynamic project planner so you can adapt them for your students and in your context. And so we're really excited to offer that, um, at a, at a extremely low cost. So the teachers can get get going, as Lori said, you know, get started, um, but make it their own. Um, um, and then there's on our website. There's also lots of of uh, information about the services that we provide that people can um, their schools or even individuals can sign up for what we call open online workshops, uh, where they can do you know get get a three day one hundred and one um, crash course and getting started with with project based learning. Excellent. I will make sure in my show notes that uh, those websites are there and the different links and so forth. So, well, uh, appreciate it. Uh, I want to ask you each this, if you could each respond. Do you, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Beautiful question. 
So Dr. John Stewart, he was one of my professors at UC Davis in the African Studies Department. And I have said thank you for this, but I'd like to say it again, it's wonderful. Uh, one, he showed me how to be graceful as an instructor. And I think that what was most important about my, my learning from him is he took time to get to know his students. He required us to come to office hours and it wasn't just to talk about work. He asked about our families and really tried to build connection. And when I was struggling to find a course that was really meeting my interest, he just helped me design an independent study course and put me in touch with people from other universities so I could get what I needed to get out of my program. And it was just so, to me, it seemed so above and beyond anything I had ever experience from a teacher. And so for that, I'm truly thankful. Awesome. Um, well, I, I often tell a story and I'm so thankful to Mr. Cooper, who was my fifth grade teacher because we engaged in projects and I, I still have the poetry book we created. And, and I ended up doing that poetry project throughout my teaching career. Um, and, um, I never ever got it. Well, I did in some ways get a chance to thank Mr. Cooper, but only um, after he had passed away when I was in college and um, by, by having a, um, being able to speak at a memorial for him. Um, he, he died quite young. Um, uh, but he's very, you know, I, 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 I didn't realize I was on a PBL journey um, until later um, when I reflected back on it. Um, but um, I also um, had a, a, co I, a college professor were getting my credential. And I, I, unfortunately, most of the courses you take in getting your, your pre-service work are, seem pretty irrelevant um, to actually preparing you to be a teacher. But uh, uh, Mark Phillips' uh, course on integrating educational technology was just really profoundly changed my career because, and I didn't, and, and it was, it wasn't until I looked back that I uh, uh, realized how much of an influence he had. And it wasn't really the methodology, which we did. I did learn and do the project uh, unit there, but he brought in all kinds of people who were doing amazing work in the Bay area. Um, Nancy Rubin doing social um uh, a social issues class in Berkeley High and others doing experiential learning project projects and uh, the Eagle Rock School from Colorado. And I got, I was just so inspired by these innovative practices. And then at one point I looked, I looked back on my career and it's like I ended up integrating, like I ended, ended up actually having a chance to teach with Nancy Rubin and recruiting her to come to, to one of our schools. Um, and so, but I, but I also stayed friends with Mark. And so I actually got to toast him at his 70th birthday um, and, and, and thank him publicly for the huge influence he had in my, in my life. That is awesome. Thank you both. Bob and Lorraine, great talking with you today. I appreciate you talking about PBL Works and the role that project-based learning can play in helping to engage kids in learning and getting them back on track. Wishing you the best in all that you do. Take care. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, 
podcast by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.